Welcome to Here's to Almost. It's your host, Rachel Lithka. Every week, we'll dive into stories of almost. From athletes to entrepreneurs to everything in between, sometimes life doesn't go as planned. I'm here to tell you that not all dreams come true. It doesn't have to be a bad thing, though. Tune in every Wednesday to hear inspiring stories of almost and how our almost can take us some pretty amazing places. This week's guest was a very active kid growing up. Eventually, her sports journey would lead her to soccer. She graduated from the University of Central Florida as a student athlete with her undergraduate degree in psychology. While it can already be challenging to be a student athlete, her story is unique in the fact that she fought and beat cancer while she was still in school. Today's conversation details her dreams of playing soccer professionally, her experience battling cancer, and everything she's been doing since then. Please welcome Nala Turner. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to start from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you were like growing up, kind of how what got you into sports? Yeah. So um, I was very rambunctious as a kid. So my parents tried to find a sport or find something that can kind of like balance that energy that I had. So we tried everything from like gymnastics, karate, and then we finally landed on soccer because all of my friends were doing it at the time. So we started off with that and um, it really helped leveled out my just like energy. And then plus like it was a really good social aspect. I never was serious whenever I was younger about any sport. I was just there because of my friends. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started just the sports like background. It's just I needed to find somewhere where I can just get all of my energy out because my parents, it was, I guess it was a huge problem for them. So they had to find a solution. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So at what age did you start playing soccer? Um, I started, I think, around six or seven, I believe. Okay. And so when you're there initially, it's kind of for fun. It's for the friends. At what point did you maybe start to really enjoy it kind of at a different level than just because my friends are here? Um, so I think when I started to play goalkeeper, so I started off as a forward or a defender or forward or uh, something like that. And um, they would always say that I was like a little bit too aggressive because I would just always <laughs> push like, you know, push people around like I played football. So they're like, OK, let's put you back in goal. And it's so weird to say this, but when I got my first injury with um, goalkeeping, I broke my wrist and we were playing against guys. And that's my parents were like, no, this is not it. You know, you you have to try a different sport. But something clicked where I was like, you know, I kind of like this. So I, you know, stayed in the goalkeeper um, position, but uh, I wasn't quite serious until I had my bigger injury, which is also very weird to say. Um, when I was 14, I actually got my face kicked in with, or somebody had their shin to my face when I was going for a 1v1. Mm-hmm. And so I broke my entire right side of my face, um, cracked my skull, broke my cheekbone and my nose, ended up having two facial reconstructive surgeries. And somehow, some way, something clicked in my head. I was like, you know what? I actually want to do this professionally or I want to do this like in the long term. I want to try to go like, you know, all the way. And my parents were just like shocked. They were like, no, don't play. I was actually supposed to not play, but something clicked at that moment. And I was like, yeah, you know what? This is actually something I want to do with my life. So that's yeah, interesting. that's interesting. 
Yeah, especially at that, I mean, at any age to have that kind of injury, but especially you said 14, at 14 to have your face a little bit messed with. And most kids wouldn't be like, you know what, this is it. It's, that's what I was like, it's, it's so weird to say just because I, like, I actually, I was a tomboy, so I didn't mind getting dirty. I didn't mind, you know, getting rough or anything like that. So I, I guess it was like pretty normal for me. And plus I kind of wanted to prove to my brother since he was all into sports as well. So I wanted to prove to my brother that I was, uh, I guess more, um, sporty, not sportier, but more athletic than him and more tough because me and him were always competing against each other when we were growing up. So I guess that was one of the main reasons. (laughs) There you go. Okay. So from there you get your face kicked in, you decide this is what I want to do. Um, so are you starting to get really serious with actions now after I imagine you had some sort of recovery from that injury? And are you trying to do things to like make that goal of playing in college or playing professionally? Yeah. Yeah. So around that time, I actually was trying out for a team. I wasn't like anywhere near being on anything serious until I got that facial injury. And that's when something clicked. So I started training a lot more, started just doing a lot more when it comes to my future with soccer. And, um, Literally, right when I got into high school, uh, my freshman year, I got a scholarship to um, Villanova University. Uh, I guess one of the first tournaments I had with the team that I eventually got on, um, they saw me, they liked what they saw, they saw my hard work that I put in, and it just went from there. When I got that first, um, just note, or, or when I got that first uh, scholarship, um, something was like, yeah, you know what, like. It was, if it was that quote unquote easy, if I could do that, I can, you know, do a lot more than this. So it just motivated me to keep going to see what my options were at the time. Yeah, that's great. Um, so at that point, it's exciting. You're getting your first offer. What do you think you're looking for in a school? Honestly, I didn't know at the time. I just like, I just thought every college was going to be an amazing experience, no matter where it was. Obviously I was naive at the time. (laughs) So uh, I I just was looking for somewhere I can play soccer. I didn't care about, you know, studies per se. I didn't care about anything else other than soccer. So it, it, I wasn't really looking for anything. Just a good soccer program. Right. Yeah. All right. So uh, where did you end up landing? So um, because the coaches at Villanova that originally recruited me, um, they left and I had to find somewhere to go. And the coaches that did recruit me really helped me with that. They knew um, the head coach at West Virginia University. And that's where I ended up um, going uh, after I graduated high school early. So I ended up um, stepping or going into my freshman year um, at West Virginia University. So they left while you were still in high school. Correct. Yes. That's an interesting process. Um, that's very scary, especially a little, you're a little high schooler, you think you have it all planned out right. and then the coaches leave. And that's something I think people that maybe are just getting into the recruiting process, maybe aren't aware of, but that mm-hmm. really can change everything. Not knowing who your coaches are, or maybe they want to keep you, but maybe you don't, cause you don't know them. Maybe you don't want to play right. for them. It definitely complicates the recruiting process, which I feel like is already pretty stressful. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was so scared cause it happened. I think because I graduated high school that December, December 2017, um, and I was expected to go to school or to go to college in um, January 2018. So it happened, I guess, around November and I like November, December time. So I was panicking. I didn't know where to go. Um, The coaches uh, at the new coaches at Villanova, they were kind of 
wishy-washy and they were very, you know, I didn't trust that I was going to get the right, you know, guidance when it comes to me just growing as a player. I just felt like they were bringing in a lot of the players that, you know, they were at in the previous like roles. Mm -hmm. I think they were at Ohio or something like that. And um, they were bringing in a lot of players from there. I was like, oh gosh, that's not a good sign. So um, I was panicking, of course. So I had to go um, see what my other options were. Yeah. So you pivot, you decide to go somewhere else and you start early. Was there any uh, reason to start early other than to just like have this new soccer challenge earlier? Yeah. Yeah. That was the main reason. I just wanted to get just started really quickly and I wanted to graduate college quickly and just get my professional career started. Had you always planned to go to college and then start a professional career? Yeah, I actually, when I was starting to get serious around the 14 like um, year old uh, t time frame, I was looking a lot at like the guy soccer over in Europe and how they do things and how they don't go to college. So I was hoping that I was good enough. I was going to be good enough to not even go to college. So that kind of motivated me to just, you know, get things out of the way really quickly so that I can play this professional career. Um, so that was my main motivation for that. Yeah. And up until recently, I think on the women's side, there hasn't been a lot of that foregoing your college career to play professionally. That's just like not how it's been in the women's game until pretty recently. So you were just seeing it on the guy side and you're like, oh, maybe I could do that. Right. Yeah. That was that was the only thing I, I didn't watch women's soccer growing up. I always watched men. And so it kind of clouded my head thinking that it was going to be the same for the women's. Obviously not. <laughs> All right. So you're starting college um, a little bit early. So you're still, you're probably the youngest person on your team. Um, mm -hmm. How's that going? Uh, so it was an interesting experience and I'm going to try to be as transparent, but also, you know, not say too much, but it was not the best time. <laughs> it was not the best time at, you know, West Virginia, just because when um, I grew up, I was very introverted. So I didn't really fit in with anybody. Um, when I went to college, you know, I was very, just didn't know how to speak, didn't know how to ask questions. Um, I was all, like all about just doing things on my own. And ultimately that didn't just work well, especially with the environment, um, with just women's soccer in general, how clickish it can be with certain colleges. I didn't know it was going to be this way in college. I thought it was going to be, you know, just like all just, we're all focused on soccer, but it, it wasn't just that. And I really struggled, especially being young and naive as I was. Um, I just didn't really have a like really good, just, I guess a way to fit in mainly just because I was very introverted. I didn't really have that easing into that for environment sure. and um, just ultimately was not good for me. Yeah, that's tough. So, and you're already young, you're already in college at a young age. There's already a lot of stressors. Anyone in college for the first time, I think is a little bit stressed about what's it going to be like. Anyone on a college team is like, am I going to like it? Are they going to like me? There's just a lot that goes into that. Right. So to add, that is definitely another big stressor. So at this point, I mean, are you just going to try to stick it out? Or are you thinking about transferring? So in the beginning, I, you know, thought I was actually some of the practices that I had, some of the workouts that I had was so hard to the point where I was like, you know, is this really what soccer is all about? Like, should I be feeling this way? Should I literally be depressed <laughs> that like that we're running this much or blah, blah, blah. Like I was really having second thoughts. So towards the end of my college year or, or my, not my college year, my freshman year at West Virginia, 
that's when I realized I was like, you know what, after talking to several people who went to different schools, so I, you know, I had a network of soccer players that I either played with or played against. I went to different schools and they were telling me like different stories. So it, I just knew that because of my mental health, my mental health wasn't the best during that time in um, my life, just because of all the things that I was going through and, and then additional things. So I knew that the grass is greener on the other side when it comes to, you know, different colleges. I need to, you know, look elsewhere because ultimately not only am I going to lose my mind, I'm going to lose the ability to play soccer just because it just, it was just not a really good environment in my opinion. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't get out, maybe you'll just lose that love of soccer and then what were all your dreams? So that's definitely, I think, an important thing to know. I think it's easy to be in that environment. You kind of get stuck in it and you're right in the middle of it and it's surrounding you, right? Like that's your reality. Um, But there are other opportunities, not to say the grass is always greener on the other side, but it is important, I think, to seek out other people's experiences and just kind of see if maybe it's just not the right fit for you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, you've transferred, you've decided to transfer, you find another school. Yeah, yeah. I found um, after my dad helped me, he works in sales. So my dad helped me do the spray and pray method when it comes to just going after different college coaches. So sending hundreds of emails because I was desperate at this point. You know, it was just like in around November, um, end of the semester. And I was I didn't know where to go. And I, I had to leave as soon as possible before I lose my mind. So um, my dad helped me do the spray and pray method. I helped uh, put together, or he helped me put together a whole highlight reel and everything. And eventually um, I landed on like a bunch of Florida schools, weirdly. Um, And one of them so happened to be UCF. And I uh, spoke with uh, a guy called, or named Chris. He was a goalkeeper coach. And he was the one who truly saw um, everything that I was capable of um, just right off the bat. You know, like he saw my highlight reel, he saw everything. And he offered for me to come do like an official visit. And when I went there, I was I was already sold. The moment I stepped on campus, because I love Orlando in general, I've gone there every year since I was a baby. Because mm-hmm. I lived in um, I was I'm from Atlanta, so we're always down there. And uh, it, I was sold. I was sold. The transferring process was easy after that point. <laughs> That's awesome. I think also something that's interesting to add to your story for people that are listening that don't know the soccer world, goalkeeper is like a whole another game. Like I totally have so much respect for keepers. My dad and I always joke that you have to be a little bit crazy to be a goalkeeper, (laughs) if you're a good one at least. Um, But there's, in addition to just the realities of how difficult the position is, there's only one of them. So as far as fighting for time, I imagine when you're trying to transfer, it's not as simple as where am I going to transfer? And there's a couple spots that maybe they're looking for my position. It's like, how am I going to get on the field and make an impact? And I'm transferring and I'm a goalkeeper. Like that adds another layer to it, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard just in, like you said, like just in general for any player, just fighting for a spot. But for me, especially since I was short, I mean, I am short. I'm like on the short side when it comes to goalkeepers, like we're supposed to be, I guess, like five, nine, six foot, maybe I'm coming in, you know, to a place where I'm like, I'm five, five, I'm coming to a place where there's goalkeepers already. that are like at least five, nine. So it was very hard. It was very hard for me. And plus I was really young and then I didn't really have a lot of playing time at my last school because there was another goalkeeper already there. So um, it was, it was very hard. So how was your experience once you transferred? It was great. The first year 2019, it was great so far. I 
felt like I was a part just of a family in general, a family away from home. Everybody was so welcoming. The coaches, I felt like uh, Tiff Sahadak, my coach, um, former coach, she was just like a mother to all of us. It was like a breath of fresh air. This is how college should be. This is how, you know, college soccer, women's soccer should be, you know, a team, a unity, not just like you're just a number, you're just a player to them. No, you're a human being. And that's what I really felt uh, with Tiff and Tim um, at UCF. Um, but towards summertime, that's when everything changed, changed when uh, I start to feel pain, which goes into my cancer diagnosis. So when did you start to feel pain? Um, was it like you were training and it was like, oh, don't remember landing there. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So the pain started, I think it was like July something. It was middle of July where we were doing, it wasn't yet preseason um, or camp yet. We were just doing just random practices on the field, just with the team without the coach. And I, we were training, diving, all of that. And I woke up one morning um, after we had a just a whole week of training. And I was like, that doesn't, my hip doesn't feel good. Like, it's just, you know, maybe I fell in it wrong. Maybe I did something, but I would have known right after practice. But, you know, like, we'll see. So um, over the next few days, the pain kept getting worse. It kept getting really just annoying. I asked my um, trainer um just you know to see how it is she thought that i pulled my groin or pulled my hip flexor obviously it wasn't so a couple of weeks later um i asked for a mri and that's when things started to kind of slowly move from there i mean at that point i imagine you're still thinking it's just like a soccer injury are you not right yeah like a weird one but yeah because i mean i fall on my hips really hard so you know i that's what i truly thought that's what everybody truly thought um so i really wasn't worried about anything i just wanted to play and luckily it was before preseason so at this time when we were getting all the um just like uh pt ready or pt done so i was just really focused on trying to be better this is just another injury i've been injured so many times that i wasn't really phased i was just annoyed i'm like gosh like what what next what what, what's now what now so so what did that mri show so (laughs) the funny story is they actually didn't show me the mri um that's i'm going to be completely transparent with this because i feel like a lot of people should know this about just or be careful about um just these sports trainers because they didn't show me anything. That's what, you know, my family and I were kind of mad about that. I had to keep begging my trainer for the results. I had to keep begging the school doctor. My, it wasn't the trainer who did the, you know, the scan, obviously it was a, it was a doctor because obviously they pay for um, our scans because it was sports related, but I didn't receive anything. And uh, it took me finally, like after weeks of begging her, she was like, oh, it's something dealing with um, a degenerative, degenerative, um, excuse me, issue going on with your bone. So I'm, you know, I'm 19 at the time. I'm confused because I I go to all of my doctor's appointments. So, you know, you would think I would have seen this before. This Mm -hmm. would have happened a little bit slower, you know, a slower process, not just onset. So... I took the CD. I just asked for the CD because I wasn't satisfied. I kept it. Um, but season had started on like at that point and I was just focused on that, but the pain just kept getting worse and worse. They thought that they could just do PT and it'll be fine. Obviously it wasn't. Um, I just gave up going to PT cause it just, it was just hurting me. It was actually hurting me more than just standing still. Um, so I stopped, I got in trouble for that, but 
it was it was a lot. So are you still trying to play through the pain or are you sitting out just hoping it'll get better with some rest? I was I was trying to play, you know, like every athlete, you don't want to give, you know, your coaches, anybody an excuse not to play. But it was it was really hard for me to hide the pain. I was taking an unhealthy amount of painkillers every day, crying myself to sleep. I was skipping class. I was in so much pain that I was getting even more depressed than I was at West Virginia. Um, My parents were worried. I was always on the phone crying to them. And, you know, obviously the coaches knew I, I couldn't hide my pain, obviously to my parents, my parents knew, but I had to put on, like, I put a mask on at all, like every practice I had, you know, I try, you would not see a tear. Maybe I would like wipe a tear off, like on the side, but you would not see that for me. Um, But Obviously, I would win some pain. That was hard. To, that was hard to hide. Um, but I would just shake it off, brush it off when they would ask. Um, but it, you know, I just had to keep playing. But ultimately, it just it hindered my just ability to kick, to run properly, to do anything. So my technique was just flawed. Yeah, and I think even in the most supportive of college sports environments, right? Like you still feel. A lot of athletes feel like they have to hide those things because you're always being evaluated. It's always the next man up. So like at any point, your spot could be taken. And I don't say that to knock athletics in any way. I think that's just the reality of a thing that has people constantly vying for spots, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's a unique perspective where it's like, well, I don't, I'm not feeling great, but there's no answers other than not a good one. So I'm just going to keep going and try to make it work. Right. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on. So I just had to make the most out of the little that I had, the little information that I had. Yeah. So where do you go from there? Do you seek out more information from someone else or what's the plan? Yeah. So um, one of our uh, former competitors was, um, or yeah, competitors was uh, um, SMU and that's where I'm from or around the area that I'm from as Dallas area. So we finally go back home or go back to Dallas to play SMU for one of our last games of the season and I have my CD, I bring it to my parents and they took one look at me when they were in the stands and like, this is not my daughter. At this point, I lost so much weight. I looked sick, I was limping, my hair was getting thinner. I just didn't look like myself. I wasn't acting like myself. My parents knew by just looking at me. So I gave my parents a CD after the game and um, we waited a little while till uh, Thanksgiving break and we gave the CD to the star over in Frisco um, and the doctor there took one look at the CD that had the scans um, from UCF. He took one look at my scans and was like, this, there's something wrong. There's either scar tissue or something else, like a mass in your hip. But either one is painful and we, we know how you feel. So let's get this situated. But obviously, I didn't have enough time um, in Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving break. So uh, they had the CD. We just scheduled a biopsy and everything to be done during winter break. At this point, are you more concerned? Are you still thinking maybe it's a sports injury, just a weird one? Or what what are you thinking at this point? At that point, I think because it was during like that type of uh, that time of year where everybody was getting sick. So I thought maybe, you know, because I was I was always this is so bad, but I was fainting. I was you know, I felt like I had the flu. So I thought I just had a bad cold. You know, my mom always gets sick. So I thought I'm, I'm just like her. I'm always getting sick, but obviously wasn't. The weight loss, I thought that um, it was just my depression because I wasn't like able to walk at this point. So at this after I came home from Thanksgiving break, I was told to walk with crutches. So I couldn't play soccer. I couldn't do anything that I, I wanted to do. 
Um, so of course that took a toll on my mental health. And I thought it was that I thought, you know, maybe because I was depressed, I was losing weight. So nothing really clicked that something was wrong until we finally got, you know, um, the results. And did you get those results? At, was that appointment over your winter break for school after you came home from? Uh, no, no, I actually the all the biopsies and tests were done during winter break, but it didn't come until I went back uh, in 2020. Um, for the spring semester, I went back to UCF to Orlando, um, January 9th after like, I think it was like, yeah, it was January 9th. Um, I was outside on the soccer field and everything. I knew I was going to like get a call either that day or the next day. Cause I got mm -hmm. an email, um, that the results were in. Um, but that day was when, you know, my whole life changed. Everybody's like a whole family's life changed. So you get this call, you're on the soccer field. What do they say? So um, when they first called, it was just it was just me and um, the nurse on the phone. I was like, can you wait? I, like, before you say anything, I want to add my dad to the call. Add my dad to the call. And the nurse, we've been talking to her this whole entire process throughout um, the whole pr process of just the scans. And there's you could tell something was off. Something was wrong when she uh, when she called me and when she first picked up the, or when I first picked up the phone. Mm -hmm. So I added my dad to the call. She said the results were in. And that um, they tried, they, you know, tested it multiple times, sampled different samples that all concluded that I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So my dad was silent. I was clearly silent. At first, I didn't know what um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was because it wasn't one of those like common cancers, like, you know, leukemia, something like that. But I knew OMA meant something really bad. And so I, like when it finally clicked about 10 seconds later, it's like, I, I, I can't like, I need to hang up. And they were trying to hold me on, keep me on the phone. I was like a dad um, and to the nurse. I was like, I can't, I, I need a moment. So um, I hang up. My dad clearly is still just in shock. Um, I hang up and I just start screaming at the top of my lungs. Like I start, I'm like, why me? You know, why, why is this happening? You, you always think that stuff like this is never going to happen to you until it does. And so I, you know, lost my mind. <laughs> I was going crazy. And then finally I got back on the, um, on the phone and that's when, um, everything was sad. And I was like, you know what, dad, you keep talking to her. And my dad was stuttering like crazy. You know, he was, he was nervous. He tried to keep his composure, but I was like, listen, I need, to, I need to tell my mom, um, I'm going to call you guys back. So my mom was downstairs. Uh, my dad is upstairs. His office is upstairs. So my mom didn't know what was going on at all. So call my mom. She's like, Hey baby, like, you know, is everything okay? I'm working right now. I'm on the calls. Like, no, not, no, nothing's okay. She was like, what, what's, what's wrong? What, what happened? I was like, um, dad's on the phone with their nurse right now. I just got off, but they told me what was wrong with me. She's like, what's wrong? I said, I have cancer mom. And hearing my mom cry was actually harder than actually hearing the news that I had cancer. You never want to hear your mom cry like that. Um, that was that was the hardest part, um, telling her that I had it because she couldn't do anything. She was all the way in Texas. And, you know, it just it hurt me more than anything, just hearing that. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> that was the day. Wow, that is thank you for sharing that with us. That's quite it's quite the day for sure. Um, and your parents are far. That's a situation. If you're close with your parents, you don't you will love to be in the same space as them. Um, right. They're not anywhere nearby. Um, at what point in the semester is this? And this is your is this your senior year? 
Um, this is technically my junior year. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it was uh, 2020 was my junior year. Um, this was the January time period. So after I received the call, um, my dad gets like a last minute flight the next day to come uh, be with me. Like, like I said, like he was on the phone longer than I was. He heard some things that I didn't. Mm-hmm. So my dad takes me to, he comes to Florida, takes me to all of my favorite spots. I don't know why, like I, it, at the time, I didn't know why he was doing it. I mean, obviously like he was trying to make me feel better, but I didn't know the extent of, you know, everything. So he took me to all my childhood places that we would go to, you know, um, and he got me all of my favorite meals, no matter, like, it doesn't, it didn't matter anything costs how far it was. My dad got me everything and he, we flew back and that's when I knew why he was, you know, doing it. I found out one of our first days or first week back, we had a visit with our oncologist, with my oncologist. And that's when I found out that I had stage four. So that was the information that he received when you got off the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, so they, at first they were still unsure about it, but they still told him. And that's like, whenever I heard it the first time it actually, yeah, yeah. It, it broke my dad's heart. And that was the time I felt like I finally saw my dad cry. Like he was trying to keep it strong. He was trying to keep it together. And I guess for him hearing it the second time when it finally sat in, um, made him cry like really hard. I never seen my dad cry that hard, but that was hard. That was hard. Yeah. So at this point, I'm sure you're not thinking about school. I'm sure you're not thinking about soccer. You're just trying to figure out what's next. Yeah. I mean, a little bit, a little bit was of soccer as weirdly as it, yeah, mm-hmm. it, we, it's weird as it sounds. I, I was thinking about soccer a little bit more than my just health because like I had worked so hard and I kept getting all these injuries. So I'm like, Oh, now what? But obviously, yeah, I was, I was wondering, okay, what next? Because I was still wanted to know my treatment plan because they were on the fence of, um, or calling, considering it stage three, because this was like the rarest case that they've ever seen mm-hmm. that oncologist seen when it comes to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mine was in my bone marrow. Usually it doesn't happen in your bone marrow. It happens okay. in a distance place when it's like in the later stages, like stage four. And, um, so they were, they were confused. They didn't know what to do. They said stage four, uh, preliminary, but they said it was on the edge between stage three, stage four. So I was just, I was wondering what's going to happen. Plus they told me that I was going to be infertile. I, there was a chance where I was going to be infertile. So I had to worry about that. So it was a lot of things on my mind, but I can say the, the main thing that was on my mind was being able to play soccer. That's crazy as that sounds. I, I was I was just worried about that only. Yeah. I mean, if you love it, you know, your brain goes where your brain goes. It doesn't always make sense. Um, right. So, and I think anyone hears like you have cancer and that, I mean, this is, I feel blessed enough that I have not had that experience, but I think anyone, I would imagine anyone feels that and it's just shock and it's just, oh my gosh, like this is so scary. Right. But to have that happen and then have your doctors be like, we're not really sure because of like the type it is and it's so rare, like that, I would imagine adds a different element of this is like scarier than scary. Like this is how did you feel with the whole doctor situation? Like obviously they're human too, but in our heads, they're the experts, right? They're supposed to know, they're supposed to have the answers. So how did you feel going into that? I was a little bit frustrated because I wanted you know, I wanted just a firm plan. Of, I just wanted a firm action, firm mm-hmm. uh, plan. 
And so obviously my parents were just angry. Like we wanted a second, a second opinion. We got MD Anderson invo involved. I think MD Anderson is like one of the best, if not the best cancer, um, uh, cancer uh, system or cancer places in the world. So my parents, we wanted to get a second opinion, but obviously clearly we, you know, couldn't just go to Houston. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of frustration and just a lot of just why, why? And then, uh, and on top of that, it's a lot of insurance issues like, mm -hmm. oh, she's 20. She doesn't need this amount of like this much radiation or the, these amount of, um, chemo sessions. It was that, that was frustrating too, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to insurance. So we were just all over the place, especially with, you know, the, um, egg retrieval too, um, when it comes to fertility because that technically is a cosmetic procedure. It's not technically covered by insurance. That's cosmetic. Yeah. And really, apparently <laughs> I can go, I can go any, like I can go all day oh, about that, but apparently it wasn't a necessity. And so they were going to charge my parents like $40,000 out of pocket. So we had to submit appeals. We had to do everything under the sun to try to get like, at least help with it. And finally we, we got help, but it was just a lot of frustration when it comes to that. Wow. That's, that's absolutely insane. <laughs> oh my goodness. So at this point, you're still trying to kind of search for answers. Um, mm -hmm. Who is it that kind of gives you an actual treatment plan says, I think I know what we're going to do next. Yeah. So after we, I think we um, just went ahead and just went with the original plan. Just give me six rounds of chemo. The original plan was six rounds of chemo and then see um, how my body responds and then do radiation at the end. Um, uh, we also got a second opinion uh, from MD Anderson. They said the same thing. Yeah, let's just start with the amount of radiation and see, you know, after some intervals, just see how, or not radiation, but chemotherapy and just see how everything works. And then we can go from there. We can see if we need to step in or we can just like let them do their thing over in um, Plano. That's where I got my stuff done. Um, just, you know, just see how it goes. And how did it go? So it's so crazy to say that it's just insane that after two rounds of chemo, I was clear. It shocked my, it shocked my doctors, it shocked the doctors over at, um, MD Anderson. It was just, it was a huge miracle. Um, when I, my scans were in the clear after two rounds of chemo, but just to make sure they went with all six rounds of chemo. And um, towards the end, we decided that we wanted to go through with the safety net of radiation, uh, proton therapy radiation, because particles of cancer still could be there, still okay. could show up like clear on mm -hmm. the scans, but you never know. So okay. obviously we went through insurance problems with that because they're like, oh, she's 20 years old. She can bounce back. She's, she's fine. No. So Do you really want to gamble up, on this one? No. Like, no. Like... I can go all day about this insurance in this country, but it's, it was, it was a lot, but finally we got, um, my MD Anderson, we went down there for my radiation. We stayed, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this family who offered me their Airbnb for free. Mm -hmm. Um, they, uh, do that for patients from, for MD Anderson as well, just like as a charity, um, thing. That's so incredible. I was, yeah. I was, I was very grateful for that because it really helped my parents out. Wow. So that's, wow. That's like so nice. Um, so you're after two rounds, like you're good to go. You're kind of just doing some, you're trying to make sure, like, just make sure everything's good. Um, at this point, I guess when the two rounds you're like good, 
are you thinking about soccer more now that are you thinking about what's next are you having a little bit more hope for the future now that the scans are coming back good um so it was it was like iffy i was still kind of like um i was still limping i was still weak um from the chemo and Mm -hmm. or like from the um original tumor that was inside my hip so i was like I was all over the place. I mentally, I just was not there, but I was trying to just be okay for my parents. Sure. But I mainly was thinking about my parents and how they were feeling. Cause after the second round, you know, their emotions were everywhere, right? Like there was highs and lows, obviously high that, you know, um, the scans were clear, but you know, I still have to go through chemotherapy and they still have to see me go through this. It was Man, chemo is is no joke, and I I wouldn't wish that on anybody. My worst enemy, I could not. It's it was I call it a poison to kill a poison. So, um, I was focusing on just getting better, um, just with my hip, and then just dealing with chemo and losing my hair. Oh my gosh, I was it was that was it took a toll on my mental because I love my hair, um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess from the time you really start treatment to the time you have your last, um, last radiation, how long of a time period was that? Um, my, so my last uh, cancer or chemo treatment, you said, Mm -hmm. um, and the time I finished radiation, um, it was about a month, I think a month. I'm trying to remember my memory's horrible, but I think (laughs) Yeah. And so a little bit after that, what point do you start to feel a little bit more like you? Um, to be completely honest, I didn't feel more like I didn't feel like me for another six months, seven months, honestly, for another year. Chemo doesn't really go away that quickly, mm-hmm. but um, chemo also caused weight gain. So, um, were one of the drugs I took um, was prednisone, so it caused a lot of weight gain. So I was. I was like 35, 40 pounds heavier than I was. So I was, I just, I obviously mentally wasn't there because, you know, my image was not how I wanted it to be. And then I was still feeling sick. My, you know, brain, I had chemo brain um, where I just foggy, couldn't remember anything to save my life. Um, I was just going blank. So I just did not feel like myself for almost a year, even actually over a year. So I just had to ignore that like I did with my hip or I tried my best and I took some medications and just, just grind. I just, that's all I did. I just tried to ignore it as best as I can. So during all of your treatment, were you still in school? Were you taking time off of school? Yeah, I was still in school. I, I had to keep my mind off of, um, off of everything. So I had to do something. So I accelerated my classes and um, I had the help with my uh, some tutors and then my professors. Wow, that's amazing. Were you doing that remotely then? Yes. During yes. your treatment, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we can go to a little bit of the happier side. You're starting to feel a little bit better, a little bit more like you. It's still a process, I'm sure, but um, what's kind of going through your head here? Like what's next for you? Yeah, so I wanted something to prove, not to anybody, just to myself, because I'm like, I was about to die. You know, I was, I literally, I worked this hard just to deal with this. Like, you know, I have to prove myself that I'm bigger than this, that I, that I can achieve a lot more. Um, Plus I had to, and I know it wasn't, I wasn't obligated to, but I had to pay my parents back as like, when it comes to my effort and when it comes to my success and everything, I had to show them that 
you know, my fight was for them. My fight was for myself too, because I know they want me to be happy, but I'm doing, I'm doing this for them because they, they spent a lot of time, a lot of money. They almost got fired from their jobs trying to take care of me. Mm-hmm. So I had to think about them and put them um, first and just not put them first. And, you know, before soccer, like, I mean, yes, but um, I had to basically have them as my main motivation than anything, but yeah. So what are you doing after this? Like you're, have you graduated? Are you still playing? What's the plan? Yeah. So after, yeah, after chemo, after I went back, COVID's already, you know, in like full swing, but, um, I was, I was training. It was my last semester ever in college. Um, obviously it was a little bit sad because I spent my whole time just dealing with this, the sickness. Um, so I spent that last semester, was sp- uh, spring of 2021, um, I was training and my coaches were kind of trying to play on the safe side because, you know, they didn't know that if I was, you know, okay enough, they didn't know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I was able to do the things that I, you know, used to, or just catch, just, you know, be up to speed. So, and I understand that, but at the same time, I'm like, listen, I, I didn't work this hard just to sit on the bench for, to play on the safe side. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go full swing. Yes. I know it's, you know, it's COVID I had to be far away from people. Just please give me a chance. And Finally, they felt comfortable enough to allow me to play um, the last game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, it was in April. The last game didn't go as I like didn't the score didn't go as the way I wanted to. But it was it was like a moment of truth for me, for just the cancer community, for just everybody. Like you can do it. It's, anything is possible if you put your mind to it or if you just like just say F it, excuse me, just say F and just do it, you know, just, you know, no matter if you're feeling horrible with chemotherapy, just do it because it's going to take your mind away from it. Um, but that was my main thing. Uh, just that game after that game, I was like, you know what, I did it. And this is just, this is a truth. This is like, just proves to, to everybody that I can do, I can do anything, mm-hmm. you know, after that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I bet that game was just despite maybe a loss, like just to have that feeling was just really gratifying and like, okay, what else can I do if I can do that? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even though I was bawling my eyes out cause we did lose and that was like a horrible comeback game and mm. game to end my collegiate career. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a great, like, it's a great feeling after when I walked off the field, I was like, you know what? I did it. I did that. So it was great. That's amazing. So you're feeling better. You've proven to yourself and to everyone around you that you can make it back. You can get back on the field. Are you thinking about your professional career? Are you thinking about what's next for you? Yeah, I'm thinking all that's on my mind is just the next steps. I, you know, I had to get all of my contacts squared up. I had to get all of my resources squared together so that I can make it to the professional level. Um, so I spoke, I did the same thing, spray and pray method. And I tried to speak to everybody and I got my first, so that summer of 2020, I got my first offer, first opportunity to play overseas, um, in Albania. And because the pay was so low, I mean, it's just women's soccer in general. And plus, um, the area wasn't up to like my standards when it comes to safety. Um, I, I was like, you know what, next option, I was, I was trying to keep my options open, just like, mm-hmm. you know, college. And I got another offer to play in Spain. 
and I was just weighing my oper- like options. Um, but yeah, I was just full swing. So did you take that opportunity to play in Spain? Um, no, because they were, I think I remember they were wanting me to come um, at a later date or something like that, and or not a later date, at a, like very soon. And I didn't have the things that I needed, like I guess like a mm-hmm. visa or something For like sure. that. And plus it was a lot of, my parents were still trying to catch up from just financially. And mm-hmm. so it was a lot of money just to send me over there just so quickly. And then I needed a visa. I needed like X, Y, and Z, and I couldn't get that in time. It happened yeah. twice. It was two opportunities that I got. It was just too soon. Um, they wanted me literally the next like day or two. Um, they wanted me to take the next flight or, or some, some crazy mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. So um, it was, it was, it made me feel good that I was having this, these opportunities, but yeah. Yeah. So you're still like looking for other options at this point? Yeah, I was, I'm starting to look more for at or U.S. options, but I knew it was going to be a lot harder just because of the politics when it comes to W or NWSL. Um, so I knew it was going to be very hard, but I started to look more just internally in the U- United States. Um, so I had to kind of differ or just like um, change my way, my approach of everything. So can you talk a little bit about that approach? I mean, I have, I don't know anything about playing professionally as far as what it takes to get there. And um, when you talk about a different approach, what were you trying to do to get seen? Yeah. So I went back to my old mindset with just trying to be like guy soccer. So I, I got, I forgot how I got into contact with him, but the best coach I've ever trained with drew, he is the uh, men's goalkeeper coach or men's uh, yeah. Men's goalkeeper coach for FC Dallas. So um, I started to look for like a guy, like for somebody who can train me the same level as what they train men, men's professional soccer. So that was my approach. I was like, you know what? I want to get to this guy's mindset, train like them, even and make up for my short, my height. And so that's the approach that I took. So I just copied everything that a professional men's soccer player would do. Um, and that was that it really helped me, um, as a goalkeeper, but it was really hard looking internally in the U S for, um, opportunities. Sure. And, um, what opportunities did you end up finding? So, um, I got in contact with Houston Nash, um, the coach. So during that time, there was a lot of just controversy and a lot of drama going on within the, uh, NWSL. And so, there was a lot of people moving around, coaches moving around. Um, and the guy, the coach that I spoke to, I forgot his name. Um, he, I think he was alluding to that, but at the same time it was because I am short and it was a lot of, that was a lot of, um, like objection or like not objections, but a lot of just pushbacks I was getting was cause I was short. And plus, you know, we don't know where we're going to be the next few months since everybody's mm-hmm. moving around. So yeah, it was yeah. a lot, but I had, Houston Dash, I had um, Gotham City, and I had Louisville. And where did you end up playing? Um, I actually didn't um, end up playing any professionalized stuff to WPSL, but mainly just because during that time when I got offered to play or offered to be not just a walk-on, just practice, um, mentally everything just started to come at me just full. Just It was just everything's just happened all at me, like all at once. I started to remember or like, just think about everything that I've gone through. This was, I think, yeah. Um, beginning of 2022, when I had those opportunities to go uh, practice for them or just try out 
mm-hmm. everything all hit me all at once. And I just had to, I had to take a step back because I was going to waste people's time. You know, if you're mentally not there, you're not going to mm-hmm. be the best you can be. And so ultimately I, I just had to take a step back. I went to therapy or I started therapy and I, and I told myself I'll come back, but you know, I'm not trying to kill myself in the process of trying to like, just ignoring everything. You can't just push everything aside. You can't as much as it might be appealing. Sometimes <laughs> it's unfortunately not how it works. Yeah, so <laughs> you're playing in the WPSL. Um, are you enjoying that? Is it fun? Is it just nice to be playing again? Or how was that experience? It was nice to be playing again and get getting just um, time or just getting um, some video uh, footage and stuff like that. But at the same time, it wasn't it wasn't serious. Like a lot of girls were just doing a lot of girls were like in high school that I was playing with a lot of girls who were still in college mm-hmm. and stuff. And they were just playing because it was off their seasons done or seasons finished. So it wasn't the environment that I wanted to be in, but obviously I got the footage, I got the um, recordings and everything and I got the time. So that was what I needed. But at the same time, mentally, everything was just going down downhill from there. And I just need to st- take a step away from soccer in general. Yeah, so you decided to take a step away. Um, you've obviously had a very crazy couple of past years. Was that difficult? Was that decision difficult? I imagine it's not something you took lightly with how much you had a passion for soccer and all you put into it. Weirdly, it wasn't difficult. I actually started to hate soccer during okay. that time. I had to take a step back because I was doing it because I was more so at that time trying to prove to other, everybody else because I lost my passion for soccer because of everything that I dealt with. Everything mm-hmm. hit me all at once to the point where I'm like, I don't know, like, I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know how to feel. I don't know anything about myself. I just lost two, three years of my life. You know, I, I just, I just need to find myself. And, you know, during that process, I lost, um, I lost my passion for soccer. It was just, I felt every single time whenever I was going to practice, um, I just was mad. I was just irritated. I'm like, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? I was doing so well. And I was just irritated. And um, I had to cancel the flights. My dad obviously paid for them, canceled the flights to Louisville, to um, Gotham City. I, you know, last minute, um, I had to write up emails just to say, like, it was, it was hard because not everybody is going to, you know, get rid of that opportunity like that. Nobody's going to get rid of an opportunity like that, but it was, I had to do it. Hey, but you have to do what's best for you and for you to even have that recognition that like, that's what you were going to have to do. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's amazing. Cause it's hard to have that insight, especially when it's something that maybe conflicts with what you thought you wanted this whole time or what you did want in the past. So. Right. Uh, you're transitioning away from playing. Um, what is your plan? What do you want to do with your life? Like, you had always thought playing was kind of it. So did you have any other like backup careers in mind? I actually didn't know what to do from there. Like at all. I was just, I was in therapy. I I didn't want to do anything to myself. If you know what I mean? Like I I needed help. I was worried about myself. My parents were worried about myself. I was finally being transparent with them of how I felt and it broke their hearts. And, you know, I just needed to find myself before I did something stupid. I I had to look, you know, out. I actually had to ask help. I hated asking for help. I was very just do it on do it on my own. I I think I said that before. I'm still I still am doing it on my own type of person. Um, but I 
just didn't know myself. I didn't know myself. And so I had to go to therapy and find out what I wanted. And I wanted to be, or at the time I was like, you know what, something that kind of exhilarated, like is very exhilarating. So let's be a cop. I don't know. I, I literally, it was the dumbest decision, but <laughs> I tried out for like, or yeah, it was like a tryouts or whatever for um, Dallas PD. And I did that. Um, and I quickly got out because I was like, oh no, I can't, I can't deal with that. It was dealing with people like running, like all that stuff, like violence. Uh-uh. Wait, wait that's not actually what I wanted. Yes, <laughs> no, I was like, oh no, 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 like I can't do that. I'm too far in, like, let me get out. So yeah, I tried everything from just retail, from marketing, everything, being a cop, a, um, EMT, like just everything. So what did you end up landing on? Um, I ended up landing on after I told my parents I would never do corporate. Um, I uh, ended up working for a um, a software development development platform. It's my first corporate job uh, that I landed, and um, yeah, it was it was definitely a different. It was it was different from being an athlete. I needed to, I needed money. I was you know I wanted to be on my own. I hated living with my parents as much as I love them. I needed my space. I need to really find myself. So I thought that I should just do that by just, you know, getting a job and moving out. And it was, it was an interesting process, especially after my, I told my parents that I would never be a, you know, a victim to corporate America, but here I am now loving it actually. <laughs> so. so is that the role you're currently in or what are you doing now? Yeah. So, um, I unfortunately, so I unfortunately lost my job in 2023. Yeah, last year, uh, I unfortunately lost my job due to like everything that's going on with the economy. And that's when I um, got into life coaching because I'm, I'm very into just psychology and mental health. After I completed therapy, after my therapist told me that, you know, everything's just getting repetitive, you know, you don't need it. Like you've made so much, so, like much progress that these sessions are just getting repetitive. So I wanted to basically give back and go into um, life coaching. I did my got my certifications, went back to Texas um, State University, did that, and then I finally, um, November of last year, landed a role, um, same position in sales um, uh, at Epsilon, a marketing and technology company. That's amazing. So you're doing life coaching and you're working in sales. Yeah, yeah, I had to put a pause to life coaching just because I'm like, sales is a whole different beast. Oh my gosh, you need to put basically your whole life into this. <laughs> um, like, I, I wish, well, my dad actually did tell me, I was gonna say, I wish my dad would have prepared me for this, but just seeing how stressed my dad was every day. But weirdly, I like it. My dad um, didn't, but I love it. So um, yeah. Is that part of what made you maybe led you to try sales that your dad was in it or maybe not because he didn't love it. Like what kind of led you to sales? Is it just something new to try? Um, I tried to look for all the qualities of soccer elsewhere. So like I said, like with like something exhilarating cop, you know, uh, soccer was exhilarating and soccer was just very, just pumps me up and motivated me. Um, sales is just like that where, you know, getting your deal, getting a deal is just like very just, Oh my gosh. Like, Okay, now work towards the next one. Just like with soccer, you practice, you win. Okay, work towards the next one. Um, there's a new deal, new day, um, and plus sales is competitive and same as sports. So I, you know, I love that aspect, um, especially being in the team like Epsilon. Epsilon, 
you're not competing against anybody but yourself. And I love that about the, about the company. And plus like, we're all a family, we're all a team. And that's exactly what I wanted to see, um, outside of soccer. That's great. It sounds like some of the things that you really loved about soccer and sport, you were able to find in your current career. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to share with us, but thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we really just appreciate you coming on here and just speaking to your story. And I love that you've been able to find other good throughout some really, really difficult times. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I know I'm like stuttering and stuff like that. Like, like I said, like working in sales or talking to everybody, talking to people for hours. On oh, no, girl, you're my, good. <laughs> everywhere. So I apologize if I was just like rambling. No, uh, you're no, totally like, fine. I literally I, I love just sharing my story just because you never know who's going to help who. Yeah, who is going to help and stuff. And I just love like, you know, what you're doing too. just a lot of people when it comes to just former athletes don't know, you know, how to find themselves outside of soccer, outside of football, whatever sports they, you know, they played. So I really, I really respect what you're doing. I feel like it, this should be like a huge thing because a lot of people are not, are having a hard time finding their identities. Heck, I, that was me. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Here's to Almost. Know someone going through a tough time or someone who could use a little extra inspiration? Share this episode with them to spread the good that can come out of our almosts. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Give us a review and subscribe to never miss an episode. Whatever your almost is, I hope you're one step closer to finding that good on the other side. Have the best day.